You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. On this episode, we're continuing the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked with the 12th chapter of The Moon Shadow. It'd be a good idea to go back and listen to the first 11 chapters if you want to know what's going on in the story. But first, uh, as I mentioned before, the show is on Audible now. So if you enjoy this sort of storytelling, we could really use some reviews on that platform. Or anywhere else you're listening to this show. Uh, and thank you. Okay, let's get to the recap. When we left off, Woodrow, trying to escape a pursuing warship, pulled the Moonshadow's altitude lever. What mysteries await him among the heavenly spheres? And now, Lies and Half-Truths presents The Moonshadow, first book of the adventures of Woodrow the Wicked. Part 3. The Grimble Prince. Chapter 12. His body felt like lead. The green granite walls of the mountains streaked by. Now they were white peaks. Now open sky. The air in the cabin went chill. White, icy veins formed on the glass outside. Still the moon shadow drove higher. Woodrow realized his body wasn't lead anymore, but he was almost too cold to move. He could see the sun, large and yellow and heatless above him. Then it all changed. The cold sun seemed to repossess its heat. The ice on the glass turned to rivers of water, streaming down and evaporating. His breath stopped making clouds. Woodrow pushed the lever forward until he felt it click back into the neutral position. The moon shadow's ascension ceased. He took a breath and swiveled in his chair to look at Hartford. Hartford looked back, silent and wide-eyed. The boy turned back around, took another breath, put his feet on the ground and pushed himself up. He looked down through the glass beneath the helm. The world stretched out below him in a shining arc of blue and white and green. The mountain range, once so high and imposing, was now a series of wrinkles gray against the dark sea and shrouded in part by wisps of white vapor. Through the glass above, the sun shone bigger and brighter and warmer than he had ever known it to be. The broken moon peeked out from the rounded horizon. It was so large, so bright. In fact, everything was bright. The sky radiated a more vibrant blue than he had ever seen, and even in the light of the sun, the wandering stars, those brilliant and steady orbs said to be home to the gods, blazed forth in vibrant glory. Woodrow revolved in place. He looked at everything in turn, the sun, then the moon, then the world below, then the moon again, then a blazing star. 
He watched each of the heavenly bodies as though he had never seen them before. In a way he hadn't, not like this. I'll be right back, he whispered and shuffled from the bridge. He stepped out onto the deck and into the open air. No, not air, if the philosophers were to be believed. Ether. It smelled like wet sunshine. All around warmth embraced him. He hugged himself, sat down on the deck, and pulled his knees into his chest. He gazed at one of the wandering stars. He wondered which one it was. What god it was named for. It gazed back in its curious, unflickering manner. A thought occurred to him. I don't belong here. Now the star's unwavering light felt like the stare of a distrustful eye. But where else can I go? he told the star. Please, if you are a god, please help me. Maybe I'm trespassing on your doorstep, but only because I have nowhere else to go. Please, help me. It was an awkward prayer, but Woodrow had little experience with praying. The star gave no reply. Woodrow stood and wiped his eyes. He decided it made no sense to wait on help not promised. I need to figure my own way out of this problem. Maybe it was the great height, but he felt taller. On his way back inside, he stopped in the doorway to take one last look around. He froze. A new star had appeared just ahead. It flared up like a match and then went out. Two white wings unfolded from the dwindling star, a form of a man between them. He was just off the moonshadow's bow. The man hung there in the air, his wings spread out in a wall of feathers, head bowed, eyes closed. A simple white fabric girded his waist and hung to his knees, leaving his pale chest and arms bare. His hair was bright gold and shining. An angel? Woodrow took a step forward, extending a trembling hand. Perhaps the god had heard his prayer after all. The angel raised his countenance. His eyes opened, blue as the heavens. They searched the bubbled glass around the moonshadow's cockpit. What's he looking at in there? The angel's wings made a shrugging motion, backing him away from the moonshadow. His body clenched like a fist. On instinct, Woodrow's fingers found the grab rail and twisted around it. With a flick of his wings, the angel shot forward in a white blur. He slammed into the glass with a thunderclap. The moonshadow's stern rocked upward and the deck swung out from under Woodrow's feet. For an instant, he saw the world naked beneath him. If not for his grip upon the rail, he imagined he would fall for a very long time. The deck rocked back to level and Woodrow fell against it. He shook his head, sprang to his feet, and spun toward the bow, expecting to assess an unprecedented display of destruction and ruination. He cursed under his breath, out of pure awe. How is that possible? He saw no evidence of the impact. The angel now stood upon the glass, examining his open hands as if wondering at their ineffectiveness. He bowled them and crouched down, raising one fist above his head. Stop! Woodrow shouted. The blow reverberated throughout the vessel and sent Woodrow sprawling against the rail. 
The angel lifted both fists. Stop! Another blow shook the ship. Hey, you stupid angel! If you want in, just use the door! The angel's fists halted in mid-stroke. He raised his head and set his eyes on the boy, as if seeing him for the first time. He held Woodrow in his gaze for several seconds, then leapt from his position and flew in an arc to hover before him. You, child, show me the way into this vessel. Woodrow rubbed the back of his neck. Now that he had the angel's attention, he felt certain he didn't want it. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> right. So, are you, um, here to help me, or what? He found himself pulled into the air, his shirt collar crumpled in the angel's fist. Woodrow slapped the celestial being's forearms. They felt like warm marble against his palms. Boy, said the angel. Base, vile, boy. I am not going to ask you again. Show me how I might gain access to that chamber there. He pointed at the cockpit. Do it now, or you will find yourself compelled toward your natural disposition at the bottom of the world with the additional velocity of my considerable might. Fine, let me go, Woodrow muttered, then added, Please. The angel released him, and Woodrow fell in a heap. Ow, jerk. It's this way. As they passed through the ship's hull, the angel's expression darkened. He looked about with a wrinkled nose. Celestial ore mixed with base metals and earthly wood. Disgusting. Woodrow frowned. That's how the ship stays in the air, he gestured ahead. The bridge is this way. The angel followed Woodrow onto the bridge. When he set his eyes on Hartford, his back went stiff and his jaw pulsed in a grinding motion. You dare defile this sacred stone to bejewel a base construct? Woodrow looked at the golem and the jagged stone set in his chest. Hartford just sat there with a disconcerting stillness, his eyes glowing wide. Sacred stone, Woodrow said. That's just some type of conductive rock my father transformed into a battery to power Hartford, I think. The angel reached for Hartford's chest, fingers crooked, as if he intended to tear the stone from the golem's body. And then, something entirely unexpected happened. Hartford's arms pumped out like two pistons. His palms struck the angel in the chest. The angel tumbled backward, toppling through the air and slamming into the glass across the bridge. Woodrow felt his body go light and realized the angel had nudged the altitude lever as he went careening past it. He pulled the lever back a couple of degrees, then rushed over to where the angel had landed. For a moment, the angel just laid there against the glass, arms, legs, and wings splayed out at awkward angles. A misting of feathers drifted down over him. His voice made a sour note. Woodrow grinned back at Hartford. Where did that come from? Hartford hunched his massive shoulders. His eyes were narrow and quivering. Don't worry. 
I'll talk to him, Woodrow said, then turned back to the angel. Hey, angel, stop attacking my ship, or my golem here is going to send you to your natural disposition, wherever the hell that is, with the additional velocity of his considerable might. Got it? The angel appeared unimpressed by Woodrow's threat. He adjusted his neck, rolled a shoulder, and got to his feet, clenching and unclenching his fists. Then he narrowed his eyes at the golem. I see. You are a conduit for the stone's virtue, he said, his voice grim and triumphant. But not for long. I felt its power enter me when I touched you. I feel it still adding to my potency. Now, let's try this again. The next thing Woodrow knew, he was looking through a hole in the wall where Hartford had been sitting. Actually, a series of holes, descending into the cargo hold, where the golem and the angel now grappled with each other, the angel's fists pumping against Hartford's chest while Hartford held him at arm's length. Woodrow rushed down after them. When he burst into the cargo hold, he remembered the cannon blast that had rocked the moon shadow and sent tendrils of smoke creeping through the hole. In an instant, he took in the scene and understood what had happened earlier. The cargo, the month's worth of supplies his father had painstakingly packed, lay in utter ruin, scorched black and splintered. Past the two struggling hulks, the back door lay open wide. Woodrow had neglected to close it when he fled from the enemy vessel's cannon fire that morning. The cannonball, though unable to pierce the Moonshadow's hard exterior, had slipped in through that open door and exploded amongst the supplies. Woodrow slapped his palm to his forehead. At the time, though, he had no way of knowing that an open door would be any less protection from exploding artillery. The blast that destroyed his supplies seemed to have done almost no damage to the Moonshadow's hull. A moment ago, the Angel had been equally unsuccessful in his efforts to do violence to the ship. Now, however, something had changed. This train of thought brought him back to the present. The Angel landed a blow on the dome of Hartford's head, ringing it like a bell. The golem's eyes momentarily blinked out, then reappeared as narrow slits. He brought his own fist down on the angel, but the angel deflected the blow with his forearm. The angel then clapped his hands on either side of the golem's head and held them there, quivering. He twisted Hartford's head to the left and, bellowing with the effort, wrenched it from his shoulders. Hartford's arms fell to his sides. His posture slouched. The angel took a step back, looking up and down at the immobile but still standing metal giant. He turned to Woodrow, head still in hand, and eyed the boy darkly. Now, what to do with you? Woodrow's breath caught in his throat. Words failed him. It occurs to me, the angel went on, taking unhurried steps toward the boy. That you may be innocent in all this. That you may not know what wicked defilement you are party to. You might think this vessel flies by its own magic. And why wouldn't you? A base creature eking out a short and brutal existence at the bottom of the universe. Why wouldn't you think such foolishness? 
but you have merely harnessed the virtues of heavenly things to provide yourself with this meager approximation of upward mobility. Or perhaps not you, knowing or unknowing, you are, nevertheless, party to this heresy. But it ends now. This stone will be returned to its rightful master, and you will die. Woodrow took a step backward. He realized his breath was coming out in thick, warm streams, condensing into steam. We are falling again, he found himself saying. He had not reset the altitude lever properly, it seemed. The doorframe to the balcony had grown a glistening crystalline crust while frosty swirls of white swept around Hartford's inanimate body. The angel made a queer expression and Hartford's head slipped from his hands, clanging and rolling. What is this? The angel's words were icy. He turned, staggering toward the door. The sphere of frost? No. He gasped. He stumbled in the direction of the lifeless golem, reaching out for him, and collapsed in a heap of feathers and fading glory. I am fallen, he whispered, and then seemed to sleep. Woodrow gaped wide-eyed at the display of improbable outcomes to equally improbable events now littering the cargo hold. His heartbeat slowed to heavy, leaden thuds in his chest. His body began to shake involuntarily. He was very cold. I've got to get to the bridge. He hugged himself as he ran up the stairs. His limbs felt thick and heavy and dull. When he gained the bridge, he threw himself into the pilot seat and huddled there, contemplating the altitude lever. I'm done, he said at last, and pushed the moon shadow into a more precipitous descent. Even though enemies awaited him in the world below, it was his world, and the enemies were enemies he knew and understood. The angel and all the heavenly things like him, on the other hand. The world grew larger, its features more distinct. Woodrow could see the jaws of the north growing, preparing to swallow him again. White clouds enveloped the moon shadow, so that for a moment Woodrow could see nothing outside the glass. Then the clouds opened in wisps beneath his feet, and the river, the mountain walls, and the enemy ship were all back. He sat for a long time, waiting. They came, a mass of rifles and cutlasses bursting onto the bridge. Captain Monroy stepped forward. He filled his barrel chest with air and pointed his sword at the boy. Woodrow, son of Compton! he declared. I have come to see to it that you face justice. In the name of the Lord of Riley Island, I place you under arrest for the following crimes. Treason, theft, arson, patricide, aristocide, attempted aristocide, and mass murder. Woodrow's brain swam with a confusion of thoughts. The Lord of Riley Island? But, he stammered, but... Lord Edgar's dead. Monroy let out a joyless laugh. Yes, you succeeded there, boy. But you failed in your attempt against my brother, his chosen heir. I act now by the authority of Lord Raymond. 
Woodrow nodded several times, uncomprehendingly. He stood and walked over to the armed men. Are you taking me home? Monroy shook his head. They don't care about you there. Lord Raymond just wants the ship. But you said... Allowing you to live is an affront to my sense of justice, Monroy interrupted, crossing to the helm and sitting. You will have a quick death or a slow one, depending on how well you cooperate. My men are searching the ship for your grimbles. Don't think those little monsters will protect you. So, I suggest you explain to me how this ship is operated. Woodrow shrugged. I don't know. Couldn't figure it out. A flash of furious red touched Monroy's cheeks. Just then, one of his men came onto the bridge. Uh, Captain, we found the construct, he reported. And something strange, like a big dead goose or something. You may want to have a look. Monroy stood. Come he said with no perceptible irony in his tone as he grabbed Woodrow by the back of his neck and dragged him from the bridge. What a mess you've made, Monroy said upon reaching the cargo hold. Is there no end to the destruction you have wrought? Monroy shoved him to the ground and crossed to where the angel lay at Hartford's feet. He poked the heap of feathers with the tip of his sword. By the Gods, what have you done? This, this is an angel. Woodrow studied the grating on the floor. I think I killed him, he mumbled. Monroy made no reply. He strode over to the boy and struck him with the back of his hand. Stars burst in the periphery of Woodrow's vision. He slammed against the floor with the taste of copper already in his mouth. He felt Monroy's fist in his hair, pulling him up, and he grabbed hold of the big man's wrist as he was dragged across the cargo hold to where the angel lay. The angel's body was stone hard when he struck it. Look at what you have done! Monroy shouted down at him. You are a wicked, wicked boy! To defile a servant of the gods? To, to... Monroy's voice squeaked out hoarse and wild. He straightened and composed himself. You will pay for these crimes, but before you die, be assured that I will return this stolen vessel to its rightful owner, my brother, the Lord of Riley Island. All your efforts were for naught. I want you to die with that knowledge. With that, the captain turned to his men. Mr. Bowden, take some men back to the balloon. I want you to run a cable from the stern of this ship. We'll have to tow it home. You, guard him. You, you, and you, keep searching for Grimbles. The sea captain marched off and up the stairs, continuing to give orders to his men. Woodrow looked at the angel. Sorry, he whispered. I guess they're taking the ship from you and me both, but you'll be happy to know that they're also going to kill me. The angel's eyelids fluttered. You're alive, Woodrow said. An idea occurred to him. 
If I help you touch Hartford, if I do that, will you help me? You'll be powerful again or whatever. He studied the angel's face for a response, but there was none. He took a breath. You're going to kill me anyway, he reasoned. The angel's arm was hard to the touch, but no heavier than one would expect from a human arm. If he could just straighten it out, the fingers might reach Hartford's foot. Hey! shouted the guard. What are you doing? Woodrow let the angel's hand fall. Nothing, just... He couldn't think of a suitable lie. Come here, you little bastard! The guard demanded. I'm going to... And then a savage beating commenced. Just before the world went dark, Woodrow felt a strange warmth against his back. Woodrow dreamed. His father sat at his workbench, tinkering with something. Only it wasn't his father. It was Hartford. But it was his father too, and he knew this through some weird dream logic that fled away as fractal swirls invaded his vision, brought on by a dull sense of consciousness. He blinked. He could hear the voices of men shouting with fearful urgency somewhere above him. He sat up. His brow ached and his ribs hurt when he breathed, which made him clench his stomach muscles, which hurt his ribs some more. So he buckled over with his palms flat on the ground and tried not to cry. He took slow, shallow breaths. After a while, he realized the voices had gone silent. He looked around. There was Hartford. There was Hartford's head on the ground. A rifle also lay on the ground. Where was the man who had beaten him? Where's the angel? He decided to stand. He pushed himself to his knees and, holding his side, got to his feet. He heard a noise outside, the sound of iron bending and scraping. Shuffling to the glass, he looked out. The enemy ship was bent in on itself, sinking into gray river water. The angel hovered above it for a moment, then shot upward and disappeared from Woodrow's view. Somewhere below the moon shadow, the ground shifted beneath Woodrow's feet. He toppled over. The moon shadow was moving. It flew through the air up to the white-capped mountain peaks and then held still. Woodrow looked down on the crags and ravines of the mountain range below. Then the mountains rushed up to meet him. He realized he was floating. The ship fell toward a fissure in the granite, a massive, gaping black maw. Soon the ship was swallowed by darkness, and Woodrow's feet touched the ground once more. The moon shadow's hull screeched as it scraped against the stone. It seemed to get stuck. Woodrow felt a jerk that sent him sprawling again, and the moon shadow descended deeper into the darkness. Their movement stopped. Woodrow opened his eyes wide, flooding them with a thick, inky blackness. He turned in a circle till he saw a dim glow and made for it with his hands outstretched. His fingers felt Hartford's chest. The glow of the stone illuminated them in the dark. I'm sorry, buddy, he told the inert golem. I messed everything up. He felt his forehead rest against Hartford's cool frame. Then came a warm sensation against his back, like the one he'd felt just before he passed out. Long black shadows stretched out behind the golem. Woodrow turned. You're back, he said. 
the angel emanated light. His eyes were blue flames. I'm going now. Did you kill them? All those vile men have been removed from this vessel. You will stay here till I retrieve you. Are you going to kill me? There will be a reckoning. The shadows joined the darkness. The angel was gone. Thanks for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins and original music by Mackenzie Stubbard. As always, consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more Lies and Half-Truths. Half-Truths.